And if you're longing for more of him this morning, somebody say amen. 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 We're so very glad you're here today. And we're a part of this uh, series we're doing this holiday season called Jesus Christmas List. Uh, Jesus Christmas List. And last week, we unwrapped the present of worship uh, for him. And we'll unwrap a new one here today. Uh, but if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12 this morning. And we're going to be in a few places, but I just want you to start there. But, uh, you know, in uh, Charles Dickens' story, The Christmas Curl, uh, how many know what I'm talking about? You see the movies, there's like 15 million versions of it. Uh, Ebenezer Scrooge sees uh, Christmas as this money-making business. You know, he cares nothing for the poor, and in fact, in the book, he talks about how even if they died, it would be good for the population. And I don't think we're to that level of Scroogeness, hopefully, uh, here today. Uh, but you know what the, the thing is, is when Scrooge realized what is, what will be versus what could be uh, with the three the angels, the three spirits that came and talked to him, uh, he realized kind of what his life really was and what was going to happen. But then he saw what could be, and it led to this moment of repentance in his life with weeping, and it actually changed to where Scrooge became one of the most kind-hearted, merciful, Christmassy type people. Uh, and I don't think we see ourselves as Ebenezer Scrooge. Many of you here today were at church. Um, and Americans, the uh, studies I looked up this weekend says that this year Americans uh, expect to spend about $930 on Christmas and gifts. I don't know if you're in here that you're going to spend that much, but I'd like to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, but $930 in gifts, the average Christian, or average American will spend this year. We love Christmas curls. We give to the bell ringers. Uh, many of us, uh, many in America today may attend church one or two times a month. Most Americans report volunteering at least some hours. And actually, the average American household gives about 3% to religious or educational charities, different types of charities. Uh, but studies say that if, the Amer- if America would begin to give 10%, if every American, while well, they give about 3%, if every American would give 10%, we would still be the richest country in the world. We'd still be the richest people in the world. And, uh, you know, today I, I, I want to look at that, but also the church. The, the church is called to be the hope to the world, the light of the world. And we don't expect, uh, the world's not called like we're called. And so I looked at the studies on the church and just to see if the church is any different. And the average American Christian actually gives the same thing as the world does. It's about 2.5% in tithes the average American Christian gives. You know, that's less than during the Great Depression when they gave 3.5%. In fact, only 10 to 25% of the local church members in America tithe, leaving uh, 30, to 30, 30 to 50% that actually give nothing to their local church. And of those who do tithe, 77% uh, who do tithe, uh, they report giving over 10%, up to 11 to 20% of those who give actually give up to 20%. And so what that really means for me today is that when Christians really give, when they really get it, they really do go all in and give. And so what does that mean about giving our hearts to God? It means it's money. This is not a money thing. It's a heart thing, that giving is a heart thing. And I'm not preaching on giving this morning because what I want to talk about this morning is what we can give to Jesus. Because is Jesus just looking for a percentage uh, or is he looking for our heart? Uh, and, and, and what does that mean is that giving is not about money, it's about a heart. And let me tell you this, though. 
Just like Scrooge, when we realize what is, that most American Christians uh, only give as much as the world gives to secular causes, even though we give, but when we do give, we give a lot. Uh, when we really get on fire for giving, most people give a lot. What we find out is that if every Christian in America, or every, or sorry, every believer, if every believer would give and reach a 10% level, you know what God in His Word talks about that tithing mark? There would be an additional $165 billion in the world today towards kingdom missions. Did you know that? If every Christian would give 10%, there would be $165 billion more dollars towards kingdom mission in the world. But you know what? It only would take $1 billion to fully fund the Great Commission this year. $165 billion would come in, but we would only need one to fully fund the Great Commission. I think about that and what is and what could be. Again, I'm not talking about money today because while if we would give that $165 billion, $1 billion would go to the Great Commission, but the rest would solve global hunger and hunger-related diseases in five years. It would eliminate illiteracy in, in all these poor countries. It would solve the world's water and sanitation issues, and it would still leave over $100 billion for ministry expansion and discipleship. God's provided the means to reach the world and it's you, and it's me. And I don't want to be a Christian who's just focusing on the don'ts, but I want to be a Christian who's focusing on the do's. I want to just, and we're looking here today at Deuteronomy chapter 10, and just before Israel received the promised land, Moses reminds this new generation of God's law, the don'ts. But what he really wanted them to understand is the do's, that God wants your heart. Let's read here to get today. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12. Uh, and it says, and I'm reading from the New Living. And it says, Now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires only that you fear the Lord your God and you live in His way that pleases Him and love Him and serve Him with all of your heart and soul. Turn your neighbors, say, heart and soul. Heart and soul. And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees I'm giving you today for your own good. So it wasn't just about the don'ts. It's also about the do's. And look at verse 17. And he says, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God who shows, shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you too must show love to the foreigner. You yourself were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. We're asking ourselves today, what can we give Jesus on his birthday? What does Jesus really want from us Christmas, this Christmas? And not just Christmas, but all year long. What is the thing that God is asking of you today? Really what he really wants from you today. And so we're going to unwrap today uh, the next gift, okay? I'm going to need some uh, help from you to guess, though, what in the world Jesus really wants from you today. And uh, I've got a few things here that it might lead us to understand what he wants. If I can uh, get a little help here, uh, getting things on somehow. Just unwrap Jesus' Christmas present. It's a little hard there. Okay, there we go. What else is in this box? This is a big box. Mm hmm, mm hmm, mm hmm. Okay. Now, what does, for those of you who have children, like I do, and those of you who read comic books when you were younger, what does what is Batman and Superman both a part of? Anybody know? 
What team are they both a part of? Do I have any comic book people here? What do you say? They are part of DC Comics, but what team are they on? So they're superhero. Let me give you a little hint here. They're part of this league of people. Oh, okay, good, good, good. Yes, the Justice League. I got some, some nerdy people out there. It's all good. I'm joking. I like it. I like it. They are part of the Justice League. And what God wants from you and I today is not Batman or Superman, but in a lot of ways, you and I can be a super... Okay, here, Facebook post. Ready to go? We can be superheroes this year. You and I can make a difference in somebody's life for the cause of Christ. And we can lead people to the biggest superhero there is, the one who's going to really set the world right, Jesus Christ. Somebody with me say amen. Amen. You know, the world holds no shortage of injustice, and we're going to unwrap justice today for Jesus. Whether it be racial or ethnic inequalities or things like domestic violence, I'll give you some stats of what would be perhaps on Jesus' wish list for us to take care of this year. Something you and I can give him this year, because he's got some pretty serious requests. No, today in America, one in three women will experience physical violence, domestic violence in their lifetime. And one in 15 children will witness it. I give you, uh, you can ask uh, Chris Anderson and Miss Kim from our CR team. Most of the testimonies that we see coming in from our CR resources talk about people who have really been affected by things as a child. Which leads me to child abuse. You know, in 2014, in America, in America now, 1,500 children died from abuse and neglect. I thought that was amazing. I, didn't, I had no idea. You know today that uh, every year in America, 700,000 children will be abused. And Child Protective Services is currently uh, watching over 3 million children in America. 3 million children in America. This year, 2 to 4 million victims crossed borders worldwide and were forced into labor and commercialized sex trade. 50% of them were children. There are almost 30 million victims of labor and sex trafficking worldwide, 1.5 million of them are in the United States. And globally, this coming year, 2 million children will be forced into being prostitutes. 2 million children. In the United States, 300,000 teens will be lured into the sex industry, and we support one of those ministries fighting that here in New Orleans. We know New Orleans is a major port for it. Even in America, though, we can talk about hunger. 20 million people in America, children, will receive free, and un, uh, free or reduced lunches, but you know half of them will never eat breakfast. 90% of them will not have a meal uh, during lunch for the summer. 66 million children this year attended school hungry worldwide. 23 million were in Africa alone. And this is what stuck mostly with me today is that 3.1 million children this year under the age of five died due to poor nutrition or nutrition-related diseases. That means one child every second is dying right now because of poor nutrition or, or related diseases by, caused by nutrition. Every 10 seconds, a baby, a toddler, I have a three-year-old, is dying around the world because they didn't get the proper food. I think about all the food I've already eaten before December 
has even really begun. And that one every ten seconds is dying because they didn't get the nutrition they needed. And they're not even five years old yet. When life is corrupt and cruel, when people are exploited and discriminated, when they lack the basic necessities of life, when millions of children are abused and forced to be prostitutes around the world today, when three million hungry babies right now are standing next to 42 million aborted babies at heaven's gates, where is justice? The Bible tells us that justice means determining what is right. It means rendering each person their fair due. It means meeting the needs, though, of injustice and growing the community to a place where life is available to all. It means making wrongs right. And when we read these verses in uh, Scripture from Moses and and Israel and Deuteronomy, uh, and we look at the Psalms, Specifically, we're looking at ourselves and saying, God, where's justice in the world today? What's going on that that three million babies are standing at heaven's gate today died from hunger or hunger-related diseases? Three million on our watch. The Bible, though, says that God executes justice for the orphan, for the widow, for the naked, and for the stranger. Psalms repeatedly declares that God executes justice for the oppressed. He gives food to the hungry, sets the prisoners free. Psalms repeatedly says, God opens blind eyes, raises up the humble, protects the stranger. He supports the fatherless, the widow, and He stops wickedness. You know, mankind in every society and every generation has failed to achieve true justice. We see all the rioting in our country today. We see all the division and racial stuff. Uh, man has never achieved justice in any country, in any, any demographic, in any age. Why? Because we ourselves are oppressed. We ourselves are bound to the slavery of sin uh, and suffer at the, at the hands of sin and the corruption of men's hearts. And so the prophets always were looking for a day when God's justice would finally come. They knew how bad the world is. And I think sometimes I forget in my, my perfect little life and my full cabinet and my, my air-conditioned home and a soft comfort pillow-top mattress, you know, I forget. Not everybody has what I have. And life is not that just to so many people. And so many people are crying around the world today and saying, God, where is justice? Where is fairness? Where is equal opportunity? Where is, where is uh, uh, how can you make the wrongs right in my life? And they're suffering oftentimes at the sin of others. So the prophets are looking for this day when someday God's people would really benefit by God's justice reigning. A day when the world's wrongs would be made right again. And so we look at the coming of Jesus Christ and Mary... In Luke chapter 1, verse 50, when Mary has heard of, of Jesus Christ's birth from the angel Gabriel and she goes to Elizabeth's house and the Holy Spirit comes over her, she begins to prophesy. And what does she prophesy? Look at this. Luke chapter 1, verse 50 with me real quick. Because it's important because what is the Holy Spirit speaking through the mother of the Son of God? And she begins to say this in Luke chapter 1, verse 50, about what God is about to do and is doing in the world today. He says, And His mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear Him. 
He's done mighty deeds with His arm. He's scattered those who are proud in the thoughts of their heart. He's brought down rulers from their thrones. He's exalted those who are humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. Now, she's talking spiritually here. And she's talking spiritually about the coming King of Justice. This new king is coming and he's about to usher in the final age, the final day when God's about to make all things right again. And when we were victimized, Christ shows up and he, he comes to rectify the oppression of sin. He comes to put to end the death, uh, the consequences of death. He gives grace to those who are needy in their spirit. He gives justice to the poor in spirit. The Bible says that he makes all who are strangers and outcasts of heaven, now into one healthy and thriving community. Jesus Christ's coming to this world today was to give us justice. But we justly deserve punishment. We, we did the wrong. But God's justice begins to side for us. And, and let me just give a little bit more into the Christmas story here. The nature of His justice even begins to see at His birth. God writing this book, writing this Christmas story today, is telling you and I what He's all about. And even at the Christmas story, you know, Pastor John last week talked about the wise men coming, that God was interested in in having pagans, uh, people who were not Jews, come and worship Him. Even the shepherds show the nature of His justice. This great king is born lowly in a manger. He's born in an animal trough. No great leaders or masses coming to worship Him. Alone in an unforgotten place, David Jeremiah talks about how the whole world was just passing by this great King. And yet His first visitors become the lowest of low. They are the poor, the unclean, the uneducated shepherds are the first people to come and worship this great King. Why? Because this righteous King comes to welcome the rich and the poor. The high class, the low class, and the no class. Because in John chapter 3, verse 16, he says, Because God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever, whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, we often forget to read. For God did not send His Son into the world to judge the world, but the world might be saved through Him. That's the kind of justice Jesus Christ came to give this time. Not to judge us, but to say, look, I'm providing a way that the wrongs in your life can be made right again. God has come to intercede for you. I don't care if you've been uh, backstabbed, you've been offended, you're living in a time and a day and age where things aren't right, things aren't the way they should be. But Jesus came down, Psalms 99 verse 1 through 4 tells us that God through Christ would give equality. When you don't have a place to belong in society, you belong in the church of Jesus Christ. Everybody is equal in this church. Let me tell you, from the back pew to the pulpit, you're equal in this community. Amen? I don't care if you're black or white or whatever. You're equal. God comes down to make equality. God comes down to give justice. Whether you've never been treated right or you've ever been backstabbed, your family disowns you, but guess what? God loves you, has a plan for you, and welcomes you in as a royal king and priest, a prince and a child of God. So He gives justice to you and He gives you righteousness to you. And this good news, when Jesus begins His ministry, becomes liberty to the poor. It becomes oppression, a release of the oppressed, a release of the bound, and, and hope to the marginalized. 
He demonstrates this spiritual justice when he heals the sick, the blind, the leper. It wasn't just a spiritual thing because he even accepted the tax collector and began, and the prostitute began to love on them. So he was taking this spiritual uh, uh, message, this message of God's hope and redemption and justice and mercy, and begins to declare it physically by healing people, by delivering people, by fellowshipping with people. And he tells his followers to do the same, not only to preach the good news, but what does he say? He says, heal the sick, raise the dead, feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, welcome in the stranger, clothe the naked, care for the sick, visit the imprisoned. Jesus' message is concerned about the whole person. James even says it's hard to say to someone, hey, go and be well when they're, when they're hungry, when, they're, when their bellies are empty. How can you bless them? And just go on with your life. Uh, Jesus says, whatever you do to the least of these, everybody's your neighbor. And whatever you do to the least of these, you do it to me. God is a God of justice. And justice is expected in His community. And the church is called to do justice. Even Micah the prophet in a day when they had heard Moses' words that God, when Moses tells Israel, he says, people, God is a God of justice and he fathers the fatherless. He cares for the widow. He cares for the orphan. And so you too, because you are strangers in that land, because you were strangers, you were exiles from the promise of God. And you cried out to God in mercy. God rescued you and he gave mercy and justice to you. And they forgot those words and Israel and their religiosity began to go. They began to get more and more self-centered, more and more focused on me, more and more focused on the don'ts. All the things I'm not doing. I'm not uh, falling into this temptation. I'm not falling into this sin. I've got the right church clothes on. I've got the right worship music. I've got the right look. My house is this way. It's clean. It's spotless. I'm not saying the cuss words and all that. But they forgot to care for the lowly and the loss of the world. And Micah the prophet shows up in Micah chapter 6 verse 8. And Micah is telling them, people, it's not just about the don'ts. He says, for he has told you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. What does God really want for Christmas? What does Jesus really want from his church? Yes, we're not saying it's not about the don'ts. It is. We need to stop doing things. We need to stop doing the sins of the things of this world. We've got to separate ourselves. But it's so much more. He says, but what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness or some translations say mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's a lot of action words right there. Do justice, love, mercy, walk humbly. I think the, the problem, I think, becomes, you know, in, in my life, just thinking about me personally, we begin to figure out, okay, God, you're God of justice, but how does my justice work with your justice? What's my role, God, in giving you and giving justice? Because isn't justice really about uh, the rights and the wrongs? Isn't justice really about who deserves the the helping hand. Uh, and we think things like this. Well, do they deserve my help? Well, if they would just get their act together, their life would be a lot better. Anybody ever said that before? I have often. If y'all would just stop being, it would feel a lot better for you. You know, I can't continue to help you if you keep doing this because, and we do that. that, that that's part of this thing that we're struggling with. So that's why they're in the mess they're in. Maybe they're getting what's coming to them. Well, I've helped them before, but they just... Hmm. 
or I don't even know how I can really help. That's so far beyond. They're just helpless and hopeless, you know. Um, maybe you've got family member like that you're going to see at Christmas. I don't know. But do they deserve my help? I think sometimes we worry about helping people because we think it might enable them in their sin or it might condone their sin and approve of it. But what message will we be sending? We begin to think, what message will this send if I do this? Do I really even need to help them? Do they really need help? Today, if you want to unwrap Jesus a Christmas present, doing justice as God's people is not about determining right or wrong. It's about demonstrating the justice brought forth in the birth of Jesus Christ. It's not necessarily about me determining what's right or wrong in a person's life. It's me about demonstrating the justice and the mercy that Jesus Christ is offering that person. I'll give you a little story. I'm, I don't want to go too long today. I, I debated whether or not to give it. Uh, years, a few years ago, a young a man, I, I had a voicemail in my, on my phone. Uh, and uh, it was a man crying, just looking for answers. You don't get those very often as a pastor. So we, I responded and called this person back. And they met me at my office and began to talk about their life. And their life was full of problems. I mean... Problems like few I've ever heard have problems. They're, they're, they were abused sexually, physically. This, this man was uh, lost into drugs as a young person. His mom was murdered as a prostitute. His grandfather raised them religious and beat them. Uh, and you can begin to hear this story, and he begins to tell me, I'm, I'm a homosexual. I, I struggle with, I'm, I'm that. That's who I am. Is a DJ and... And we, I took this man out to a nice restaurant. I began to talk to him over lunch. And I began to hear his story. And my heart began to break for him and for his life. And we, even when we were done eating, we went out to the parking lot. We just sat on the ground right in front of my car on the concrete and just began to talk about life. And uh, just began to tell him the hope of Jesus Christ and what Jesus Christ offered. And we went even back to the church and... He began to ask me, well, I've heard all this about what the Bible says about homosexuality. And we began to have this long conversation about what Scripture says. And I told him very plainly, this is what Scripture says. We read Romans 1 and we began to talk. And he was very open to it and understood. Okay, I see that. I see you. Yeah, there's no arguing with this. That's what it says. But more than anything, over the next several months and years, I would begin to help him pay his light bill, get, help him get on his feet. He was homeless. Years later, he and I have developed a great friendship as he is still on his journey to find out who he really is in Jesus Christ. He knows God loves him. He knows God has a way for him. And he's trying to find himself in Christ and give all of his of his being over to him. And I love that man. I have nothing in common with him almost whatsoever other than life is hard and life is painful. And this world is unjust, but there is a king up in heaven who so loved him and you and me that he is willing to come down and make all the wrongs right again. And so you and I today can declare justice to a world. I don't have to tell this man, fix your life and I'll help you or you don't deserve my help or or I don't understand or just preach at him. 
I can demonstrate the love of God and say, God has a plan for your life. God loves you. I can help you any way I can. Let me show you the mercy and kindness that God gave to me. Because I was once lost and dying without sin, without a hope, separated from the plan of God. But God reached down from heaven and brought justice and mercy into my life. It's not about me determining in someone's life what's right or wrong. It's about me demonstrating the justice that's brought forth in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And my role in justice is really to love kindness and walk humbly with our God. Because you see, there's a two-part thing to this justice. I'm going to flip this sign around here. Because while one side reads justice, the real way that you and I can demonstrate the justice of God today is to love mercy. Love kindness, love mercy. Moses told him, you're outcasts. In verse 19, he said, you are outcasts, but you experience the mercy and justice of God, so you too must show love. James 2 tells us we can't just stop committing adultery and murder and all the big things, but fail to show mercy and think we're doing okay. You see, unlike Israel, it's not about mastering the don'ts. While the don'ts are very important, and yes, we should stop the don'ts. But when we get to heaven, you will not be congratulated over your nots and your don'ts. You won't be congratulated over what you have not done in His name, but what you have done. He won't get up to heaven and say, congrats, you did not smoke, you did not drink, you did not curse, you did not lie or cheat or steal. You know what He says? He says, Come on in. He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with much. So what I gave you, you increased. The things and the resources I put into your life, you put them to good use and you brought more people with you into heaven. He'll say, you've shown love to the unloved of this world. You gave a drink to those who needed a drink. You gave clothes to those who needed clothes. Those are the things you did in my name. And so what can we give to Jesus? I want to show the world that heaven has really come down to earth. So many people don't experience heaven on a regular basis. You and I, we live in a blessed country. We we get to go to a a blessed church. We get to experience the Word of God every day. Many of us have, have, have wonderful lives compared to most people in the world today. But I want to show people who haven't experienced heaven That heaven has really come down. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, brought heaven to earth. And so how can we give gifts to Jesus this Christmas? Let me give you some real plain examples that I just felt led to share. There are some questions I want us to ask ourselves that would ask us to look around where we are. And the first one is to ask ourselves, who is hurting? Who is hurting around you? I want to challenge this church, even in our Bible belt that we live in in central Louisiana. Be alert. Look for the woman who's being abused. Look for the child who's being abused. They're here. They are here. Support causes for the sexually exploited. You can support ministries like our local recovery program, Celebrate Recovery. You can volunteer. You can support things like Unashamed Love and New Orleans, even in, Louis- in, in Alexandria, there's ministries. We ask who is hurting and we ask who is lacking. We need to be able to loan freely to those who are in need 
and who are willing to work. To really to support those, not just give a handout, but to be willing to go with them and walk with them to learn how to manage their finances, learn how to think right and act right, learn how to uh, plan their finances well, to actually not just say, here, here's a few dollars, but actually say, how can I help you get a car when you have no car and way to get to work? How can I help you get your GED when you don't have a GED and there's no hope for you getting further in your life and blessing your family? How can I help you really get a part of, of healthy thinking and healthy living? In the coming years, you're going to see our church begin to move forward into this and to grow benevolence ministries. It's not just going to begin giving handouts to the poor, but to actually begin to work with them and pull people from our church alongside with them and say, let me help you plan your finances. Let me help you learn how to get a job, learn how to write a resume, learn how to do these things that you can live blessed, that you can think, uh, get to that place in your life of sustainable, self-sufficient living. It involves us taking time with people and loving on them and inviting them over to dinner and and walking with them through their their lack. We can sponsor the the poor in our local community. We can sponsor foreign children. You can volunteer at an after-school program to a child who doesn't have a parent who's willing to do homework with them. But that doesn't look like church. No, it doesn't. But it is more like church than you know. Church is not about coming and singing some songs. It's about being the people of God, declaring justice, that Jesus Christ has come. He so loved the world, He was willing to die for them. We can do things. I want our church to look different. Does that make sense? I want us to look like a people who are affecting change in our community. So it means asking who's hurting, who's lacking, who's lonely. We need to be teaching our kids to stand up to those, or to stand up for those who are being bullied. We need to teach our children to befriend those who are picked last. To sit with those that no one else sits with. To turn the other cheek. To pick up and mentor those kids. We can pick up those kids whose parents won't take them to church. We can love on the elderly and the disabled in the nursing homes or at homebound that have no family to care for them. We can encourage the incarcerated. We can fellowship as we often do with black and white, homosexual, Muslim, immigrant, legal or illegal, we should fellowship with and stick up for and care for. I don't care what the policies of this country are. I'm concerned about the policies of Jesus Christ. Some of my best friends are in that category. We want to care and show the world the justice of God. Whether you're rich or poor, And then we want to ask ourselves, who's dying? That may mean calling and visiting the sick, which is not very common in the world of fast-paced busyness today. Used to, in a slower society, we'd we'd call and we'd visit, we'd show up at hospitals, that we'd continue to do that and care for one another who are sick, that we would donate to those that are fighting in cancer. But ultimately, it means to preach life to the spiritually dead in every way we can. You know, that means it's practical things like showing Jesus to your kids at bedtime. You know how many kids today do not get a bedtime story? Many, many children today are being raised without an awareness of who even Noah or Daniel and the lion's den are. Volunteering in our kids' ministry. It also means preaching Jesus to your kids' friends when they come over, to your coworkers, to your neighbors. It means volunteering in our kids' and youth ministries for the next generation. It means supporting missionaries around the world who go places we'll never go. And yes, it does mean tithing to our local church. Because the mission of God is about people. 
And loving our neighbor means not just loving their soul, but loving the whole person. Just like Jesus, when he preached and fed the souls of the 5,000, he also fed their hungry bellies. And it seems, well, it might seem overwhelming today. Pastor Heath, how can I affect change? How can I just bring justice to where you are? The people you encounter with do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with our God. And remember this verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. The Apostle Paul says it this way. He says, Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ. You were excluded from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenant of promise. You had no hope and without God in the world. But now Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For you and I to walk humbly with God this Christmas, it means to let His justice roll like a river from our hearts. That's what Amos 5 says. Let His justice roll from our hearts. Jesus talked about the rivers of living water that would flow from our hearts, that we would love kindness and mercy and compassion more than religious sacrifice. I want to ask you this before we get to close. What if our churches begin becoming known more in our community, not by the worship services we had or the preaching that we had, but by the compassion of culture change? That we begin to minister to the poor and the outcasts, the disenfranchised. We begin to love on those that nobody else loved on, to intercede and stand up for those who did not have a voice, to begin to fellowship and worship across the aisles of whatever aisle it may be. That they would look at the church of Jesus Christ in the world today and say, that's the kind of economy I want to be a part of. That's the kind of family I want to have. That's where things are made right in your life. Things, their marriages are blessed. Their families are blessed. They live good. They, their finances are in order. That, and when you go in that people and you become a part of that identity in Christ, we just see that they care for people. That, the streets are cleaner because they're here. The, the people are less poor because they're here. Their people are actually getting long-term help because the kingdom of God, that heaven, has come down to Gina, Louisiana. And the church is standing in the gap and making up the hedge where the world is so falling apart that we're standing in social barriers and cultural barriers and economic barriers. And you know what? We'll earn the right to speak Jesus into their life. You know that? You pay someone's rent, utilities, you help someone in a, a bad situation, you stand up for them when no one else does, you'll earn that right to preach Jesus in their life. That's how Jesus did it. He raised up the dead and He spoke into their life. He, he healed the sick and He spoke in their life. He demonstrated who God was. And, and it's not just the spiritual revival. That spiritual revival comes because we're declaring that God so loves you. Every part of you, every element of your life. He loves your marriage about you. He loves your body. He loves your, your mind. He loves your heart, your soul. He, he cares about your job. He cares about your, your belly, your hunger. He cares about those things because it's all of you that Jesus wants. I don't want to be a church that's so focusing on the don'ts and we unaware, unaware that so many people are hurting and suffering around the world today. I want to show them that Jesus is my superhero. And He makes all my wrongs right. And this church is defined because we are walking humbly with our God, loving mercy, and doing justice. 
not just worshiping the service, but being the people that God's called us to be, to declare and demonstrate that God so loved the world, He sent His Son. Amen? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Worship team, would you come?